You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here. Happy Mother's Day. So let me, uh, I want to take you to a conversation I had with my family. Uh, This is a while back, but I got to show you three pictures so you understand the conversation. So, all right, let me start uh, here. This is Chopper from the Star Wars uh, animated series called Rebels. This is BB-8 from the sequel trilogy. And then, of course, this is R2-D2, unless you're Cuban, then his name is Arturito. And so, anyway, so, now, we're having dinner, and I ask my kids, I'm like, okay, you can only pick one droid, who do you choose? Chopper, BB-8, or R2-D2? And, and my older two, Mia and Xander, they, they can't decide, and Mia is probably the most vocal, and she says, Dad, how could you even ask us a question like that? And, and, and she's like, that's like asking, who do you love more, mommy or daddy? And my, my youngest daughter, Olivia, says, oh, that's easy, I choose mama. And... Uh, <clears throat> And Mia says, Livy, you, you can't say that. You can't choose between mommy or daddy. She, and then she starts pointing. And she's like, no, it's hard, not hard. Look, I choose mama right now. See, Mia, it's easy. And Mia leans over at what her sister is in. She's like, I'm so sorry about this. And uh, now, I'll tell you what happens. But a couple weeks later, we do, this, um, we do this little Easter egg hunt for our kids. And inside are these little coupons. And so it could be you get to pick the movie on movie night or uh, there was a few different things. You know, you get to pick where we go to lunch on Friday because that's kind of a little tradition we have is, because Friday's my day off. And then, we, um, and then one of them was uh, 30 minutes alone time with mom, 30 minutes alone time with dad. Well, my daughter Livy trades her brother and sister, the mom ones for the dad ones so that she can get 90 minutes with dad. And, uh, and, and, it was, and now you might ask, how did I manage to pull this off? What type of parenting technique was I using? Uh, it was the Chick-fil-A parenting technique <laughs> because the day before I, had, I brought Chick-fil-A breakfast home and those little hash brown discs that they sell, that is my daughter's love language. And uh, she loves those. So, my, and so there's a few different things we can learn from this. You might be an order of six nuggets and fries away from a better relationship with your kids. Uh, that could be one. Uh, um, I keep meaning to talk to the Chick-fil-A folks to do a commercial that my daughter Livy and I star in, where I start off, it's just her and I, and I say, my, do- my youngest daughter used to only mildly tolerate me. And then she says, but then he bought me four chicken minis. Now I love him. And then we both say, thanks, Chick-fil-A. That'll sell a lot of chicken, I think. Now, <clears throat> the moral of the story is that things can get better. And we all want, especially in relationships, we want our relationships to get better no matter how good they are. If you haven't been with us in the last, this, this is uh, the fourth of four messages that we're doing on marriage and family and relationships. And what I decided to do in this series was instead of just talking about principles of relationships, I said, why don't we just look at some relationships in the Bible? Let's look at some couples. And you know what's been so cool about looking at this series and just looking at biblical couples is that they're dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with. They've got problems just like we've got problems. They're figuring stuff out just like us. They're working through it just like us. They're hanging in there, hopefully just like us. And so what I wanted to do for this last message on Mother's Day is actually look at this final couple and go to their wedding. 
That's where Jesus is. That's where the disciples of Jesus are. And Jesus is going to perform his first public miracle at this wedding. And he's going to do it, his first public miracle at this little wedding in a little town with a couple whose names we don't even know. And the question we got to ask is why? Why would he do his first miracle here? Why not do your first miracle in Jerusalem? in front of the religious leaders, in front of a huge crowd, so there's no doubt about who he is. And listen, that has never been Jesus' style, and here's why. Because Jesus' miracles were never about him. Instead, he does a miracle at this wedding, and he puts his stamp of approval on the, wedding, on the marriage covenant, and he's showing how a marriage can be blessed when he's invited to be at the center of it. And so, listen, if you're here and your marriage is going great, then we're going to talk about how we can get even better with God's help and you can experience even greater joy. If you're single and you've been enduring for the last four weeks, God bless you. Uh, you've been hanging in there for four weeks. Like, I know he's going to talk about something else at some point. So, but listen, 91% of people get married. So if you're not married, statistically, you know, it, it's, it, it, it'll, 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 it'll happen. But if you're here and your marriage isn't going well, this couple that we're going to look at had a real problem and experienced a miracle in their marriage, and I really believe that God wants to do the same uh, for those of us who are open to it. So let's start. It's John chapter 2 is where we're going to be, and we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now, if once again, we're 2,000 years and half a world away, but when the original, the, the, the people in this time heard that, it was like, they have no wine. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, this was a crisis. So let me just say, if you want, uh, there's three things that we're going to look at in our time together, but if you want to prepare for a marriage miracle, here's the first thing we need to do if you're a note taker, is that I need to recognize my need. Now, couple of things to give you a little bit of background so this, the text makes a little more sense. First, it says on the third day. That means this wedding was taking place on a Tuesday. Uh, I remember being in Jerusalem on a Tuesday and being at the Western Wall, or what's called the Wailing Wall, and there was a girl who showed up, this young girl. She showed up in her wedding gown uh, to take pictures at the Western Wall before her wedding. And I said to our tour guide, I'm like, hey, that's a little odd. He goes, no, this happens. If you st stand here long enough, you'll see a bunch of brides that show up. And I said, why? He goes, because a, a lot of weddings happen on Tuesday. And I asked him why, and he said, because of the Genesis account of creation, where it says, uh, you know, if you remember the Genesis account, everything, God creates and it's good, God creates and it's good. But on the third day, God said that it's good twice. And so the Jews have this teaching that uh, on Tuesday, God was twice happy. And so they have weddings on Tuesday in the hopes that God will bless their marriage. And I mean, we do the same thing in our culture. There's people who don't go to church at all, but they want to get married in a church. And the reason being is because they're hoping that even the act of being married in a church will somehow invite the blessing of God in their relationship. Second thing that's important for us to know is that weddings were a week-long affair. Uh, in the ancient world. And so I want you to imagine a family reunion, a wedding shower, a bachelor party, a rehearsal dinner, a ceremony, and a wedding reception all rolled into one event. It was a week-long deal that was happening. And so for them to run out of wine would have brought shame on this family because hospitality in the East was and continues to be an incredibly high virtue. 
which is kind of strange for me. And by the way, if you want to know what my wife and I uh, disagree on, this is one of those. I don't care about running out of things. When people come, in fact, I get happy when we run out of stuff. And be, because I don't want to have, I don't want to have to store five half-eaten bags of chips when this whole thing is over. And my wife can't fathom the idea of someone coming out to her house and them and us being so reckless as to run out of Funyuns before everybody has had a chance. She's like, what if someone runs out? I'm like, snooze, you lose, man. That's how it works. And uh, she doesn't play like that. I remember we were, we were going to do this thing for New Year's, about a year, uh, whatever it was, a year and a half ago or so. We're going to do a New Year's party. So we invited a bunch of people over. And uh, I told Carrie, I'm like, hey, you know what would be fun? So we're at Target. And I said, you know what would be fun? Why don't we get stuff to make s'mores, and I'll fire up my big green egg, and then the kids can do the melting of the s'mores and stuff. She's like, oh, that's a great idea. So there's like 20 people coming to our house and probably about eight kids. And um, anyway, so she gets three giant bags of marshmallows for the party. And, and I say, care, come on. We need one bag. There's 50 marshmallows per bag. What are we going to do with 150 marshmallows for eight kids? And I'm like, even if every child has six s'mores, which by the way, we'll put them in a coma. <laughs> we will still have two left. And, uh, and you know, guys, there are moments in your life when you make such an airtight argument that your spouse has no choice but to agree. And so she listens to it. She's like, you know, you're right. You're right. And then she grabs one extra bag. She goes, but I'm keeping an extra bag just in case. And, and I'm like, in case what? One of these kids wants to break the s'mores world record? And um, so we compromised. And compromise means she does whatever she wants, and I just shut up about it. And so now, <laughs> now the thing that's important, once again, Mary, the mother of Jesus, says to Jesus, they have no wines. This is a big problem for this family. And I know that sometimes they, well, they could just serve like what, lemonade, root beer, you know. Uh, no, no, in that culture, there were two drinks. There was water and there was wine. And sometimes there was impurities in the water. And so to run out of uh, wine at their kid's wedding was just a huge insult to their guests because wine was a symbol of joy and celebration. So Mary is going to ask Jesus to help this family and it should reveal something to us about the heart of God, that no prayer that we pray is too small. Listen, we tell stories, and I know I do this too, that I tell stories about the big things that God does. But you know that there's a million little things that God does in your life, answering these prayers that, once again, we might consider small, but are important to us. And I'll tell you something I, I prayed about uh, about two years ago when I started working on my master's in theology I, I, I had this prayer. I'm like, God, wouldn't it be something if I was the valedictorian of my graduating class? I'm not, I, was, I was crazy, but I just, I had this prayer and I thought, and by the way, you get to be valedictorian based on three criteria. You have to have the top grades in your class. You have to, um, your character and reputation, and then the school administration votes on who the valedictorian is. And so, and honestly, I wasn't even praying for it for me. I just thought it would be a good ending to the story of the day I met my wife. And, um, and that then she could have some proof that she didn't marry a total loser. And um, so I prayed about it early on and then had to get to work on doing my part, which is having the top grades in my class. Uh, and then it happened. And uh, I was named the valedictorian. And uh, oh, I appreciate that. And they gave me, and they gave me five minutes to speak at, at the graduation. And um, so I thought I would show you maybe just the last part of it when I tell the, say that it's a good ending to the story. Check it out. The day I met my wife was uh, December 4th, 
1992. You tend to remember important days, but uh, we both had gone to a friend's house um, to this party. Neither of us had ever been there before, and neither of us have ever been there since. But I saw her, I sat next to her, and I introduced myself, and she told me how she was on a full-ride scholarship at FAU. I had just finished my fifth year of high school. And um, <laughs> she was telling me about all of her classes, and so I asked her, and I said, do you, do you like school? And she said, oh, I love school. And then she said to me, do you like school? And what I thought was, well, between summer school, night school, five years of high school, I go to school more than anyone I know. School has been the nightmare of my existence. But I didn't say that because I was a 19-year-old non-Christian boy who just met a really pretty girl. And so I just said, yeah, I love school too. And, uh, and for years, for years, she joked with me and she said, you know, our relationship started because of a lie you told me at, the par at a party. And, uh, you know, 26 years of marriage, three kids later, one, I would say that it worked. And um, two, I, would, I tell her this every time she brings it up. I say, honey, it wasn't a lie. It was a prophecy. And, um, and today, that prophecy is fulfilled as I stand before you. Thank you so much. You know why God does things like this? It's because he's proving to you that he can be trusted, even with the little things. And if you can see him show up in the little things in your life, you will trust him for the big things. Some of us have been praying for God to do a miracle in our marriages. And can I tell you something? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. If we want God to work in our marriages, we've got to identify the need and then start praying specifically about the need and persist in faith that we're not going to stop until God does something and does a work. Well, they have no wine. Dun, dun, dun. Look what happens next. It says, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And this is, I have this underlined twice in my Bible. It says, and they filled them up to the brim. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing. If I want to prepare for a marriage miracle, number one, I need to recognize the need. Number two, I need to partner with God. Now, I know that it seems a little cold at first, like Jesus' response. They have no wine, and Jesus uh, says, you know, woman, what is your concern? I don't know why I just made Jesus sound like he's from Alabama. But, um, <laughs> but, but it seems harsher than it is. But really, uh, that word woman, and you can circle it, it's this Greek word, gune, uh, G-U-N-E, and it is a term of endearment. It's like saying dear woman or ma'am. And uh, what he's saying is, he's saying, ma'am, this isn't my time to reveal myself as the Messiah. And what's funny is he says no. And then, his, and then she turns to the servants and is like, hey, he's gonna, he said no, but he's going to do it. So just let, whatever he says, let, let, you know, listen to him. And, so, and, and, and then Jesus tells them to take these six giant stone water pots and fill them up. Now, once again, it says uh, it, they're about 20 to 30. So we're talking about between 120 to 180 gallons of water. Now, 
The other thing is, is that if you're a Jewish reader at that time, you would instantly be tipped off to something. We'd be like, oh, God's going to work. How do you know? Because there's six water pots. And there's, once again, in the Jewish culture, there's always, uh, numbers always have a certain meaning. When something is five, it refers to the five books of Moses many times. When something is six, it refers to the six days of creation. And that God worked for six days and then rested. And when they saw, when they would see six uh, giant water pots, they're like, God is about to work. So the question that we need to ask is, why turn water to wine? The reason is because centuries before, God commanded Moses to turn water into blood in Egypt. And it brought death into the land of Egypt. And this time, Jesus is turning water to wine to bring joy in life to those who were there. Wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. It's a picture of a heart that's glad. In fact, I, I have in your notes there, uh, Psalm 104, it says that wine makes the heart of man glad. Listen, God wants you to have joy in your marriage. And that's not to say that marriage isn't challenging. Of course it is. God is taking two sinners, putting them in the same house and saying, hi, I'd like both of you to live in harmony. That's, that's a tall order. But here's the thing that I love about those who were working at the wedding. Mary says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. He says, fill up the water pots. And they filled them to the brim. They didn't fill them halfway, three quarters. They filled them all the way to the top. And there's a principle at work here. That when you and I start obeying what Jesus is saying, we're getting ready for God to do a miracle in our relationships. So here's the question. What can we do to partner with God in the same way that these guys filled up the water pots to get ready for the marriage miracle? What are the things that we can do in our marriages that fill up the water pots for God to be ready to do a miracle in our marriages? Here, I'm going to give you three in particular, but here's the first one. The first is to keep pursuing your spouse. That means the things that you did to get your spouse are the things you have to do to keep your spouse. Because listen, er, in the early days, it's easy to go over the top. You're doing everything you can to win her in the early days, right? You're spending more money than you probably should. You're sending those messages unexpectedly. You're giving her little gifts just because. I remember when my wife and I had been dating for, uh, for about two months, we went out on kind of our first fancy date. It was right around Valentine's Day. In fact, I have a picture. Someone snapped a picture of that day. Uh, that's, that's us. Um, so sexy. And um, <laughs> Carrie looks good too. And um, so anyway, now I was so nervous. We had been dating for about two months. I took her to this restaurant called Yesterday's that was on the intercoastal of Fort Lauderdale. And I'll never forget, I walked in, and that was the fanciest place I had ever been in in my life. I think the next fanciest place I had been to was Versailles. And just because my Cuban parents, they weren't bringing for anything more than, like, what do you need more than this? And they're like, I, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, maybe, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe napkins that aren't paper. Anyway, but anyway, and... Um, Salad that isn't made on the same slicer that they make the Cuban sandwiches, maybe something like that. Um, so have you noticed that Cuban um, salads always taste a little bit like ham? That's why. It's because they put it on the same slicer. Anyway, that's a different sermon. Um, so anyway, we, we get to the restaurant, we sit down, and they gave us these washcloths to cleanse our hands. I'm like, oh, wow, this is so fancy. I, so I clean my hands, and then I start washing my face. And my wife, she is so, she's like, stop what you're doing right now. And I'm like, why? I'm like, I, she's like, this is for your hands. This is not a shower. 
And uh, I'm like, well, okay, good to know. And this is, this is my first time at a fancy, fancy place. So anyway, um, I spent more money on that meal than I spent on the car that drove us there. All right? Just to kind of put it in perspective. And by the way, because it was on the intercoastal of Fort Lauderdale, they only allowed valet. So I had to valet my 1981 Toyota Corolla. And, uh, and <laughs> it was not my favorite moment when I left. And it's all these, you know, Beamers and uh, Mercedes showing up. Because we got there a little before it was busy. And then it was real busy. And uh, so these people are, they're dropping off, getting there. And I'm about leaving. And then someone shows up at my car. and is like, hey, whose car is this? And I tell him, I'm like, don't say one word. And, uh, and I was like, what loser brought this piece of junk here? And uh, so, and I just like, hey, we're going to wait a few minutes for it to clear out. And then when it cleared out, I just, I was like, hey, man, I need my keys. I got to get out of here. And I just got out of there. And so now, listen, going all out is easy when you're trying to win her. But if you want to be happily married and, and have a marriage with joy, you got to keep pursuing her. And by the way, that changes over the course of time. That could be, you know, this could be the stuff early on, but then maybe later it's, hey, I need help with the kids. I need help with dinner. I, I, I just, I want there to be a time where we just both talk. Uh, I think one of the things I'm most grateful for about my marriage um, is that Carrie and I just love being together. We love doing everything together. I mean, we go food shopping together. We, we, uh, we get the mail together. We cook dinner together every night. And I, when we moved into our house a little over two years ago, the, the builder decided, like, instead of putting a mailbox in front of your house, you know what would be good? I'm going to put your mailbox a block away. Like, first of all, I don't know who thinks that's a great idea besides the mailman. Um, so anyway, uh, but, and I thought it was like the dumbest thing. And now I get home and she's like, oh, you ready? Like, yeah. And we just like holding hands, walking down the block, trying to get our mail. And this just becomes a moment for us to kind of reconnect because I've been gone all day. And, and this is, listen, one of the things that keeps couples close in, in marriage is just doing stuff together and just being around each other. So keep pursuing your spouse. Here's the second water pot we fill to the brim, and that is be generous with your words. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Have you noticed that every single thing that the Apostle Paul says to put away is all volatile words, anger, wrath, bitterness, evil speaking, or literally blasphemy? Uh, there are moments for conflict in marriage. However, the words you use should be what de-escalate conflict, not what create the conflict. And I said this last week, and it bears repeating, too often, we're a little too loose with our words, and that's what gets us into trouble. And you know how it works, is that sometimes you can say the right thing, and then your spouse gets upset, and you're like, what, didn't I say the right thing? And, and, and they say, it's not what you said, it's... Right, we all recognize that. You can, because we understand that tone is communicating something in connection with the words in which we speak. In fact, you can say the exact same words and it means something totally different. In fact, let's, I'll, I'll give you an example. Four words. Can you help me? That question said different ways means something totally different. If you just say, can you help me? You're communicating something, needing help. If you say, can you help me? Now you're communicating something, something different, right? You're talking down, even though it's the same words. Can you help me? Well, now you're communicating something different. And if your spouse shows up and she's wearing like an evening garment 
and in the door, and she's like, can you help me? <laughs> now that's something else. But we don't have time to talk about it in this message. And, uh, and listen, because it's all four words, but meant spoken a different way, they mean something different. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. This is, a one, this is a good proverb to commit to memory. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. What does that mean? That means that there are people that every time they speak, it causes pain in the other person. And, but look at what it says. But the tongue of the wise promotes health. And we all know this. We all know people that every time they speak, they make things worse. And there's other people that every time they speak, they make things better. So what's the point? Be generous and wise with your words and fill the water pots of your marriage. Third one, and then we're, uh, we'll move on, is here's a third water pot to fill up. Give your spouse quality time. One of the most common things that causes issues in marriage is that couples don't spend a lot of time together. Now, this is easy to do before you have kids. It becomes a challenge when you have certainly multiple uh, kids. And you know, especially if both of you are working, you're taking care of the kids, the kids have stuff that they're engaged in, sports or extracurricular activities. There's hobbies that maybe both of you have that are separate. And there's decisions that have to be made, wise decisions that need to be made. Listen, I had a standing appointment with a group of friends uh, early when we were planting the church. Every Tuesday, uh, every Tuesday evening, we'd play the par three golf course every Tuesday without fail. And then uh, probably once or twice a month on Saturday, we do an early tee time and we do 18 holes at a, uh, at a local golf course. And once again, 18 holes on the par three was like two hours. Uh, a regular, you know, you're talking like three, four hours, maybe even longer if you, you know, are going to uh, have lunch or whatever afterwards. And then I found out that my wife was pregnant with my, my oldest daughter. And at that moment, I retired from golf. I put my golf clubs in the garage and have not touched them in almost 17 years. And listen, and I have zero regrets about that. You know why? Because listen, when you have kids, um, that is, having kids in your house is a limited time engagement. Because, you know, there, there's the, the saying, and it's totally true, that the days are long, but the years are fast. I'm I look on at my kids, and I just, I have three, uh, you know, almost three teenagers in my house, and I don't even understand how it happened. But I made a decision when my kids were born that I was not going to be one of those dads who later on regretted and, like, bemoaned the fact, I can't believe I missed it. I said I was going to squeeze all the juice out of this and enjoy my kids when they were, when they were young and when they were at home, and I was not going to miss it. Listen, and now that my kids are old enough, and uh, on Friday night, we drop them off, uh, at youth, and so we do youth every, every week here at uh, 7.30 on Fridays, and we drop all three of them off, and we go on a date every, fr every Friday night, and, uh, and, and I remember a couple weeks ago, one of them was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to go today. I'm like, oh, you're going. You're going, because your mom and I, we're going, and uh, you ain't going to be around for this, and, uh, and so, and listen, and we go out every Friday, and like, well, isn't that expensive? Yes, but you know what's also expensive? A divorce lawyer, Turns out, you, you've seen their rates lately? Dinner's cheap compared to their rates. And so, listen, and guys, let me just tell you, and, and I'm, I'm specifically to the guys, if you want joy to just overflow in your house, and you, if you can't do it every week, try every other week. But do, do this experiment for 90 days. Every week, every other week, you plan it. Not, honey, whatever you want to do, you set it up, I'll go. No, that, that's not... That, that's not leadership. Here's what leadership is. You set up, you plan something and take your wife out. You make the reservation. And by the way, yes, that is a place that accepts reservations. 
Not like, honey, there is this gas station, and they serve the best chili. Like, no, we ain't going to a gas station, and we ain't eating chili. All right? You make a reservation, and you take her out, and just watch what happens over the course of three months. I'm telling you, your relationship is going to flourish because you're making an investment, and that investment always pays dividends. And look what happens. Verse 8, here's the conclusion of the matter. It says, And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, if you pause there, last thing I want to tell you, if you want to get ready for a marriage miracle, I need to trust God's heart. That's the last point. This is my favorite part of the story. The master of the wine drinks the wine and says, hold on. He says to the bridegroom, you brought out, you waited to bring out the best stuff or the best wine. Now, the the fact that Jesus turns water into wine is an amazing miracle. But I want to show you maybe some some next-level understanding that never gets talked about, and it should. Uh, But maybe this is a graduate-level understanding of the passage. And um, that makes this miracle even more amazing. In Israel, when vine dressers collect grapes, they put the grapes in buckets. The grapes that are the largest, most robust, that are the ripest, when there's a lot of grapes that are put in, some of them will explode inside the buckets from the pressure of the other grapes. This was the richest, um, fullest flavored uh, grapes, and vine dressers in Israel would fight over who gets to drink this juice, which was called best wine. Um, If you had acres of vineyard, you would maybe produce one glass of this. This is why everyone would fight over it. Jesus turned 150 gallons of water into best wine, which is a miracle on top of a miracle. That's why the master of the feast is so taken back. Even the richest people in the world couldn't have ever served this. There just wasn't enough acreage to make this much best wine. You see, that's why he says, listen, typically you bring out, when everybody gets there, you bring out the good stuff. And then once everybody's taste buds have kind of dulled, then you bring out the whatever stuff. But he's saying, you brought out, you saved the best for last and it blew them all away because it begins with tasting. And there really is something wonderful that the Bible does. It just invites us to have this multi-sensory experience with knowing and walking and trusting God. In Psalm 34, King David writes this song. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now, um, the majority of it's Mother's Day, so a lot of us are parents that are here. And, and, and can I just say, maybe I speak for most of us, I think one of the most frustrating things about parenting is trying to get your kids to try things that they haven't tried before that you know they're going to like. And I, I'm telling you, that just makes me crazy. And I remember when Mia was young, trying to get her to taste honey mustard dressing. No, I don't want that. It's yellow. So is the sun. Try it. And so, I don't know, I don't want that. Now, I finally got her to try it. Now, she loves honey mustard. And, uh, and I, because honey mustard is amazing. I, I, I make it a personal rule not to trust people that don't like honey mustard. <laughs> it tells me their discernment is a little off. And so, 
But now, and I remember Xander was the exact same way. Wouldn't try it, wouldn't try it. And then finally tried it. And now Xander doesn't even need food to eat honey mustard. <laughs> One time we went out to lunch. This was, he was younger back then. And um, we were sitting, he was sitting on my side of the table. And Carrie looks at me and she's like, Bob, can you handle this? And so we had, brought, we had an appetizer and um, it had honey mustard dressing. And I, and I look over and Xander is drinking honey mustard dressing through a straw. And she's like, you have to deal with this. And I just said, hey, Xander, um, you've done what I've always dreamed of doing. But I feared the social stigma associated with drinking your dressing. So maybe you don't want to do that. And he's like, take that under advisement, dad. And uh, now, but it's interesting, right? You don't forget. You don't forget when something tastes good. It's not like, oh, I don't remember. No, you always remember, right? Nobody's ever forgotten what a Twinkie tastes like. You know why? Because Twinkies are amazing. And so, uh, but because you don't forget. That's why, listen, so make this so interesting. Psalm 34 is written by King David. Remember, the Psalms are songs. And so these songs are sung. And he's saying that taste in the sea that the Lord is good. So were they forgetting? Did they not remember? And, and weren't, the weren't, isn't the people that are going to be singing this, aren't they Jewish? So wouldn't they know that already? Listen, there's a difference between knowing about God intellectually and experiencing God. There's two different things. The Bible is filled with passages using imagery of sensory experiences that describe knowing who God is and walking with him. Because whenever you taste something good, you know this, whenever you taste something good, you immediately want to share it with other people. Why? Because the experience is always better when it's a communal experience. And you say, well, what does that have to do with my marriage? Everything. I want you to notice in verse 11, after the story ends, John gives us a little commentary on it. He says, this is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Uh, John does not call it a miracle, even though miracles are named that in other places. He calls it a sign. And so why is it called a sign? Because a sign is used to point you to something else. And the whole point of this miracle is to give us a sign, a glimpse of the future. The Bible is giving us a picture of the end of time when there's what's called a marriage feast. It's a picture of heaven. And that means that my marriage and your marriage is more than just two people being happy. It's a picture of two people loving each other, showing each other grace, mercy, truth, kindness, working through problems together and never giving up. You know why? Because Jesus never gives up and we've experienced this in relation to him. Because my friends, listen, your marriage, my marriage is not about us. Your marriage is a picture. It's a picture of your relationship with God. Listen, have you ever noticed that as the marriage goes, as the family goes, so goes society? Isn't that just an interesting thing? It's because a marriage is just two people, but the impact is far greater than simply two people. Your marriage is supposed to give people a picture of eternity. And the greatest evangelistic tool that you're going to have in your life that are going to bring more people to know Jesus than anything else is a picture of a healthy marriage and a healthy family. Jesus performs a miracle of turning water into 150 gallons of wine. 150 gallons isn't just enough. It's completely over the top because it's not just for this couple. It's for them and everybody around them because they're all going to taste and see that the Lord is good and then tell everybody they know about what happened. And that's what God wants for your marriage, for there to be overflow and abundance in your marriage so it blesses everyone you come into contact with. 
God wants to do such an over-the-top work in your life and bless you abundantly because it's supposed to be a picture to everyone you know. And what if, what if the lack of wine in this story mirrors a lack of love, a lack of trust, a lack of security, a lack of understanding that's in your marriage right now? And listen, what if the miracle that Jesus wants to do in your marriage is the sign that's not only going to transform your marriage, it's going to transform everyone you know? Then that means you can't give up. It means you've got to be open to the miracle by believing that by God's power, the person that you're married to or you can change. It's not coming to God and saying, Jesus, my container's seven-eighths full, just top me off. No, it's coming to him and saying, Jesus, I'm empty and I need you. And when a husband and a wife do that, they can change. And when they change, a marriage is transformed. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. You want to do a good work in us and through us and for us. And Lord, our prayer is that you'd help us. You'd meet us where we are. Some of us are doing great and some of us are struggling and some of us are somewhere in between. But Lord, we're praying and hoping and asking that you would help us change to be ready for the miracle that you want to do in our marriage, in our relationships so that you can be glorified in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.